Hi, I'm Patrick Kagan, your host for Sales Hindsights, a conversation that combines my 30 plus years of experience with the expertise of my guests. And trust me, all of them will amaze you. Now, it's been said that hindsight is 2020 vision. So, my guests and I are charged with answering one thing for you knowing what we know now, what best practices and takeaways have the last 30 years in sales, sales management, executive leadership, and entrepreneurship provided to us that you can take with you. So enjoy the listen as we conversate for your growth. Okay, thank you for tuning into our podcast, Sales Hindsights. Just by tuning in, you are already getting ahead in the process of self-improvement. During our conversation, you will discover that we make sales make sense. And we go beyond that. We tackle issues dealing with management, leadership, team building, self-confidence, entrepreneurship, and life itself. So our goal will be to make all of it make sense, and we do it with a very practical and easy-to-understand approach, and we try to give you those little nuggets that you carry with you in your pocket every day, and when life throws a challenge your way, you reach down in your pocket, you pull out that nugget, and you know exactly what to do. You're going to find you like what you hear during our conversation, so I want you to go to our website pksolutionsgroup.com for all the resources you will ever need to become the best version of your own professional self. In the podcast description, you're going to find a link to my calendar. I want you to go there to set up your free situation analysis with me. Do it today. Do it for you. And finally, thank you for all the likes, shares, and follows. It makes a big difference. It allows us to continue bringing you great content and great guests. Now, today, we plan to dive into the topic of the 11 steps for success. And joining me today is Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith is coming to us all the way from England, and he is actually known as a couple of things. One is he's known as the KPI guy, but the other that's really impressive is he is actually uh, titled the most successful author in history, and this is not self-proclaimed. This actually comes from the editing director at Wiley Publications. Wiley is the number one publisher in America for anything that's financial publications, business strategy, and they've recognized him as the number one author. And it's interesting hearing his story because they were publishing and managing number two, three, four, and five, and maybe six. I don't know if I have the numbers right. And his, his circulation out surpassed all of the two, three, four, and five publications. We're very lucky to have Jeff with us today. Uh, he's he's published seven books. He's on to number eight, and he's a he's a walking, living, breathing testament of overcoming obstacles, of having a strategy, and of truly understanding that KPIs are important because you get what you measure. So, Jeff, I want to just turn it over to you. Thanks again for being here. Hopefully, I did justice to the introduction of who you are and what you bring to our audience. Wow, Patrick, thank you so much for that incredible introduction. I have so much to live up to now. Thank you. <laughs> well, I love, I, love, um, I love your books. I love the topic of key performance indicators, KPIs. Uh, and I just think that sometimes, you know, 
I know in American business, I'm sure in, in business over in England, folks measure the wrong thing and so they get the wrong thing. I mean, maybe you, you wrote a book uh, called The 11 Steps of Success. And I know we won't have time to get to all 11. And I'm going to put links in the podcast description so folks can get to your your information, your books, everything that helps everybody. But maybe you could begin us on the topics. Maybe we'll get to one or two of those in the time we have that might help folks understanding the steps of success and how KPIs play into that. Yeah, that's the fascinating question. In fact, there's about 12 questions there, I think, Patrick. So let let me put the whole thing into context so the whole thing makes sense. So uh, my dad is a very clever guy, but we didn't have any money. And one day I realized, I was about five years old when it all started, we were at school and the teacher said, tomorrow kids, we're going to do a science experiment with some ice. Can you bring in some ice cubes, please? So everybody bought in ice cubes apart from me. Why? We didn't have a fridge. And I'm thinking, you know, I look at my other kids in in the class, my friends, they dress better than me, nicer house and all things like that. I would not say we were poor because I think that's a state of mind. We were broke. That's a state of pocket, right? But I had wonderful parents. I was loved. And so I had a, a fantastic childhood. But then life goes on. I get to 18. My father at the time was the manager of the largest machine shop in Europe. And he had a hand in building some big bridges in the United States, in Turkey, and all over the world. He was a real clever guy. But we still had no money. And one day I met a guy who had this Porsche 911, and and he, he bought a product from me that was double the price of our house. And it was like, wow. So I a question came to me, which was, How do successful people become successful? How does a millionaire become a millionaire? What is it they do? Is it something they think? So I decided to find out. Now, at the time, I was a professional musician. So I used to play keyboards and back cabaret at nighttime in nightclubs and things like that. And then during the day, I used to sell them. And so I was exposed to a lot of famous people a lot of successful people and a lot of wealthy people. Now, I put them in three different categories because then I was thinking success equated to being a millionaire, which it doesn't, of course. Success means many different things to different people. But what I did, I formally interviewed 325 millionaires and highly successful people. And what I found out was that they all do 11 things in common. And I thought, well, if I apply these 11 things to my own life, then science might be predicting that I too can be successful in the areas that I want to do. And here we are. So I went to school. I really wasn't interested in school. I was only interested in music. I failed at maths. I failed at English. I applied the 11 steps to my life. And here I am the most successful author in history, having written a book on mathematics. <laughs> how, how on earth does that happen? So that's, that's where all the 11 steps come from. Um, I'm, I'll correct you on one thing, Patrick. I haven't written the book yet. It's on the list, 
So when I speak to people, I share the 11 steps and help them to be more successful in, in their lives and what they're doing. The book is on the list to write, but I've not written it yet. I got you. Well, how's the last? Where do you want to push me now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so maybe share with us maybe step one or step two. I mean, because there's a lot of folks who are faced with your situation. And I love what you say that uh, broke is a state of really your pocketbook. And it can lead to it can lead to a mindset. Mindsets can be very crippling or they can be freeing one of the two. And I think you chose the, the latter. Uh, maybe tell us, like, what are the one or two or three, the top things that you saw that were from this list of 11 things that the most wildly successful people are all doing in common? Sure, that's a great one. So here's what I found out in my research. They all do the same 11 things in common. However, some were not aware that they were doing these 11 things. They just did them. Mm-hmm. I just recognize the commonality between these successful people. Step number one, this is something that all of them do without question. It's the most difficult thing to do. And I would say, here's a key performance indicator for you. I would say 98% of people can't do it. They struggle to do it. So what is step one? And it's knowing what you want. It's as simple as that. And most people do not know what they want. Or if they do, there's insufficient clarity on it and they're unable to explain it to others. Well, if you can't explain it to others and you have no clarity, you can't get it clear in your own mind. And therefore, it doesn't happen. Now, let me give you some examples on that. I've been on stage quite a lot and... So other people say, hey, Jeff, what are the 11 steps and things? I say, right, we have to know what we want. This is step one. And someone will come up and they'll and I'll say, so what do you want in your life? What, what's your thing? What would make success for you? And then the person would say something to the order of more money. I want to earn more money, which is like the common answer, right? Mm-hmm. So I put, hand in my, I put my hand in my pocket. And I give them a dollar bill. <laughs> and I say, there you are, you've got more money. And they go, no, you know that's not what I mean. I say, no, I don't. Now, what I want you to imagine here is that everything that exists, everything that you want already exists. And the reason you don't have it is because you've not yet asked for it. So let me, I don't want to get into a religion or anything, but let's say the universe delivers for you. If you ask the universe in a way that the universe can understand it, the universe will deliver. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've noticed in all successful people. They know what they want. Mm -hmm. A successful person would never say, I want more money. A successful person would say, I want a million dollars. And I want to see that manifest in my bank account on the 12th of June, 2023. I'll open my bank statement at noon And there'll be a number of transactions totaling up to $1 million on that date. You know, Patrick, that's the difference. It's the difference between specificity and knowing exactly what you want or being generic. Yeah, you know, I I completely agree with you. Um, We do, in in my business, we do a lot of consulting sessions and one-on-ones. And we start with define your current state. 
and then define your desired state. That seems like an easy concept, but folks have a hard time truly defining their current state, what gets them stuck where they are. And then they think the opposite of that is their desired state. And, you know, if and you're referring to things that I love, things like the law of attraction. Um, and I, and I, love, I love that you have to manifest this. And you have to, we talk about free will, willing the world around you to what your desired state is. And it isn't, I'm going to turn the corner and find a $5 bill. But it is manifesting a lifestyle and a mindset and a world around you that you desire. And I, and I, and I like that. And I think that you're spot on. People don't know what they want. Uh, and they're, they're, sometimes they're not willing to do what it takes to get what they want. That is a real big one. Oh, yes. That is massive. Are you willing to pay the price for what this success wants? I'm, yeah. Well, I mean, look at yourself. You sat down with 325, what you defined as successful millionaires, because you wanted that. So I'm not going to sit down with 325 people and, and interview them. I'm probably going to buy your book and read it. Most people, that's their shortcut. You dug in. That was the way you learned. That was the way it made sense to you. You did what it took. And that didn't guarantee you anything other than you had 325 interviews. Then I think what's really important is you identified, here's the first step I have to take. And I always ask the question, what's harder to see? The very first step in front of you or the end of the journey? Everyone says the end of the journey. I'm like, what's hardest to take? They're like the first step. They want the end of the journey, but they can't see it. And they can see the first step, but they're not willing to take it. Why do you think that is? What do you think is the reason people are afraid to take that first step like you did? Okay, so the, the two very important points you bring up there. They can't see the end of the journey, which kind of reiterates the point I'm making. People don't have enough clarity on what they really want. Right. So when I was doing the 11 steps, I was looking for the formula. I wasn't looking for success. I was looking for the formula for success. So I was always looking for that. That that was my journey. But as I said, most 98% of people can't do it because the the end of the journey doesn't have to be the ultimate end of the journey. You can break your journey into smaller parts. Perhaps that's why some people can't think beyond where where they want to be. The other thing is to get where they want to be, they maybe don't have the skills right now and they get more focused on how rather than what they want. And my top tip in this particular area would be never, ever worry about the how. That will come. You know, my daughter a few years ago, she was at school, midway through school, and she said, Daddy, the careers teacher has been in today, and she asked me what I want to do for a living when I grow up. Um, I don't know. And I put my arm around her, and I said, Darling, you really don't have to worry about that because half of what you could be has probably not even been invented yet. That's, and I, that's excellent. Yeah. 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 And, and it's about opening your mind to possibility and opportunity. You, you know, writing a book is a great metaphor to explain this. So I write a book, and by the time I finished it, which is about one year, I'm a completely different person at the end of the book 
to when I was at the beginning. So thinking about writing a book when I'd not written one before was immense. It, it's like, wow, me, write a book? But when I finished it and done it, oh, I'm going to write a series of books now because writing one is simple. And you become a different person as you travel along the journey. So people perhaps look too far forward to say, that's what I want. Maybe you should wind it back a little bit and have a number of goals and have it believable. Yes, go big, but have it believable. And then making the first step is always the difficult one. You just you just have to do it. Just just go to it. I think you're right. And I think that I think that folks they tend to look at how big and how much and they, they get they fear and history come into the equation. And and I, I always encourage folks, have milestones. Don't even call them goals, have milestones like identifying the first step. That's that's great. Now now eventually you'll take that first step. I have three daughters myself. They face the same thing you're talking about with 18 years old, coming out of high school. What do you want to do? What do you want to major in? And what they pick and what they end up with are two different things. And I used to tell them and their friends, if you're, why don't you start with everything you don't want to do? And when you clear everything you don't want, you'll be left with everything you've ever wanted. And you don't even know it yet. And so you start at 18. You come out of school at 23. You still don't know anything, but you think you do. And you go on and you go on and, you know, and that's what the whole premise of our conversation is. We have the, I call them conversations. We're looking back now with 30 plus years. Hopefully we learned something. Hopefully somebody can pick up from it. What you've done and cataloging these in, into, into books and categories for us is you've given us a roadmap and th that doesn't guarantee success. But I think the first step is get your books and read them for sure. Listen to these podcasts. Look at the roadmap. And then if you don't have the skills, like you mentioned, some people don't know how. They don't know what they don't know. It's important to find people who do know. That's why I am in business. That's why I do consulting. I can sometimes bring clarity to something unclear to somebody because they haven't done it before. That's what you did for me. I, I love looking at your books and your excerpts and your speeches and everything that's out there. And I'm going to put those links within the show description because I think our audience can benefit from the fact that you know that 98% of the people can't form clarity on something as simple as what do you want? And they want to get to, I want to manifest it. But I will, I will also challenge this. Do you find that people don't believe what you just said? I just have to think about it. In a year from now, I have a million dollars of transactions. They don't believe that that can happen, do they? Mostly not. But it's, it's not just thinking about it, of course. So I'm, I just want to rewind just a little to answer, because you asked me two questions. Yeah. And the, the one was, why don't people think that far ahead? And why do they not take the first step? Yeah, thank you. So why, why don't they take the first step kind of links back into what you've just asked me again. So why do people not take the first step? I think the number one reason I can give you is fear of failure, mm -hmm. fear of rejection. And no one becomes successful at everything straight away. What I found out within the formula for success, part of the components are failures and their lessons to teach you about what to do next, but now more intelligently. If you can accept the fact that you're going to make some mistakes 
And if you can laugh about it and say, wow, that was a great learning experience. Now I know what not to do in order to move me in that direction. But having said that, that's all wonderful, but that's not the catalyst for action. Here's the catalyst for action. You have your goal. You know what you want to do in a year or two. If you don't make that first step, if you don't make this change happen, what's going to happen in your life? Mm-hmm. Where will you be in one year? And I think once you begin to have a conversation like that, then people think, okay, maybe there's a difference between I want to have something or I need to have something. And if you look at your life in a year's time without making this first step, that's the difference between want and need. Successful people focus on needs, not wants. Yeah. Once they decide to do it and then making the first step, once you're on the way, the second step is also difficult, but it's much easier. And then it's the third. And then you become like a snowball rolling down a hill. It just gathers momentum and goes and goes and goes. You learn more and you meet with other people who can help you. They're, they're attracted to you because of what you're doing. And then the whole things that have happened to me that I just cannot believe, uh, I'm extremely privileged. I would never dare to have dreamed when I first started on the journey. It's the journey itself that's provided the next part of the journey and many of the things that you certainly couldn't see right at the beginning. So, and I, I think people worry too much about the how. I would say, don't worry about the how. Think of the step you need to take and understand what will happen in your life if you don't do it. What well, I love the distinction you're drawing between want and need because want really comes from a position of luxury and need comes from a position of survival. And you look, I, I, I spoke with a gentleman about his business and he can clearly identify that he has problems with his sales team, but he doesn't feel he needs to do anything. And so he waited a year and a year later, we were having the same conversation about the same problems. And I, he asked me, and I said, before we talk about the problem, imagine you had a cavity a year ago in your mouth and you just chose to just let it be because you know about it. How much worse is it? How much pain do you have? And if you don't have enough pain, you'll never take action because you don't think you need to. But by the time Mm -hmm. it hurts you so badly, you may be so far gone that you'll never address that need and it's no longer a want. It's no longer a luxury. I I think you're, I think you're spot on. I love, I love what you're saying and it is absolutely true. Want versus need. Yeah, absolutely. If if I can bring your uh, tooth analogy into business. Yeah. People hire me to make a keynote speech, things like that, on change management. You know, they say, come and teach us something new, Jeff. And I say, okay. But the thing is, people don't like change. We hate change. You know, what the three biggest mistakes in business. The first one is inertia. I know I should change, but I'm not going to. I refuse. The seven most expensive words in business, Patrick. Are you ready for this? I am. I'm writing it down. So you bring an idea to the table and then they say the seven most expensive words. But we've always done it this way. 
right. that is inertia in action. And you think, okay, so how do we overcome something like that? You don't introduce it as change, you introduce it as an upgrade. Then it's not so radical for them. So it's like you've got already, it's just a little bit better. Then you can start to manage things happening. The second uh, big mistake in business is procrastination. Maybe we should talk about that on the next podcast. <laughs> well, it's a it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, touch well, on it. Touch on it a little bit. I'd love to hear about it because it is it's a problem. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So, so the, the procrastination means okay. I accept the fact that we need to change. I will change. But I've got some other stuff to do today. You know, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I'll get to, I'll, I'll put it off until tomorrow. And then tomorrow, yeah, some other stuff coming in the way. You know, urgent is in front of important. And, and things are just not getting done. As a result, it doesn't get done. So inertia is refusal. Procrastination is acceptance. But other stuff gets in the way. The big one, the dangerous one is new paradigms. This is the third big mistake. This is where your belief about things that are true are no longer true. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, it was considered in, in the 1950s that man could not run one mile in four minutes. The four minute mile was considered impossible. The heart would break, the liver would rupture, your kidneys would blow. Everyone was saying it cannot be done. And then a British guy, Roger Bannister, broke the four-minute mile. You know what's fascinating? After he did that, how long did he hold his record? After it was could not be done until that point, it was considered impossible by everyone. He did it. How long did his record hold for? I, I believe it was a very short period of time, like a month. 46 days. 46 days. And, and, and within that same year... 23 more people broke the four-minute mile. What happened? It was the belief about what could be done. Uh-huh. Now, if we if we bring that back into business, you heard of a company called Kodak? Yes, of course. An American photographic company? Yes. So you might, yes. So what happened with Kodak? They were the largest photographics company in the world. Arguably, they made the best paper, the best chemicals, and at the forefront for printing photographs. Now, I'm a photographer. I don't know the last time I printed a photograph. So what happened with Kodak? The world changed. So in so they invented the Kodak Brownie, which brought the camera to the masses. So just like Henry Ford, he didn't invent the car, but what he did, he produced the... Um, manufacturing methods that made it uh, possible for the masses to buy. And that's what Kodak did with cameras. They bought out the Kodak Brownie so people could afford cameras. They then sold film, did all the processing and became that giant, which they did. But then came the digital camera and photo sharing, digital photo sharing. So nobody wanted paper anymore. What did Kodak do? They refused to recognize this new paradigm and they continued to develop new paper, new chemicals, and they, they were arguably the best. Nobody wanted them. So they called that die. You know the fascinating thing in this story? 
Do you know who invented photo sharing? Do you know who invented the digital camera? I don't. Kodak. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unreal, right? So they created this new paradigm and then refused to accept it. Inertia in action. And there are many stories like that. Uh, uh, video cameras, uh, VHS videotape, the typewriter. Do you know the last typewriter was made in 2012 by Brother and it was immediately taken to be an artifact and put into a museum. Mm -hmm. Yet I was a lad, the typing pool was a career for kids at school. You know, so these new paradigms and how the world changes is the most terrifying, I think. The biggest mistake in business is that people fail to recognize change uh, and especially coming out of the back of COVID now, which I think we are, so much has happened in the last two years, which has changed the way the world works. Uh, and lots of businesses have gone bust because they've not adapted and new businesses have developed to fill the holes that they refused to move into. So we have inertia, a refusal to change. We have procrastination, which means I should change and I will change some point, but not right now. Right. And then we have new paradigms, which is not seeing the change happening right under your nose. You know, it's, it's, I love it. And I, and I hear constantly that people say, I don't like change or I have a fear of rejection. And I always ask people, so I, you know, nobody seems to like change. Does that mean you live in the same house that you were a child in? Does that mean you have the same job? Are you dating the same person? Do you have the same car? Do you wear the same clothes? We can go on and on. Your life is nothing but change. You're the only constant in your life. And people love sayings. The only constant is change. Um, fear. The only fear is fear of failure. The only, you know, we limit ourselves. All the sayings we put on the walls, we don't practice what we preach. The idea of fear of rejection your entire life, you've been rejected by others around you. You, me, everybody that's listening to this, you have to still decide you're a good person. You can contribute. You can be successful. You can find the formula. <laughs> and then you can choose to apply that formula and you can fail along the way. And failure is, like you said, the lesson. If you look at your life and your experiences as a lesson, I was in the military. We were in battles you don't fail in a battle. You learn what didn't work and you, you advance using that knowledge. I'm fortunate enough to have that lesson. Many people aren't. But if we go through our lives not only taking chances on, on the things where we're going to succeed, we're never going to take a chance. And that first step, we'll see it, but we'll never take it. I love your three. I love, I love inertia. I love procrastination. And I love, there's the paradigm right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Um, before we wrap things up, because I, I know your, your your time is valuable and I, I appreciate you coming to us from, from England. Are there any, you talked about the, the steps and the, the formula and identifying and we're going to, I want to read more and dig into this a little bit more. Are there any mistakes you could say to people? Here's maybe a number one mistake to avoid as you go forward. You may read, you, you may read some of my books and when I do publish the 11 steps, you'll read those. But here's some mistakes I want you to think about that maybe in hindsight, could help you save some time. Yeah, absolutely. Thankfully for me, it wasn't in hindsight. But this is what a lot of people do. 
I'll put it in the context of writing a book because I know probably uh, there'll be one or two people listening that think, yeah, I, I want to write a book. I'm, I'm on my journey to write a book, just as you are, Patrick. Right. So we've got to have a chat about at this after the show. So, so whether we're actually writing a book or doing another project or a business product or service, here's, here's the way I want to answer your question. Most people write a book and then think about how to sell it. Most people create a business product or a service and then think about how to sell it, take it to market. Mm-mm. That's the big that's the big one. So I have helped lots of people write a book now. And what I always say is my first piece of advice, whether it's business product service, but I'll use a book, is I want you to write the advertisement for this book. I want you to sell it to me. I want you to get all the features, the advantages, the benefits, and really sell me on why would I want to part with my hard-earned money to buy this book? Convince me. Right. Now, there's a couple of reasons I say that. And it's because it's like a validity test for the book. Also, when you're writing the book, you keep your advertisement in focus. And when you write... If your writing does not match with this superb advertisement you've written, then you're not going to sell this book, are you? So it keeps your writing mind on focus with what people want. Mm-hmm. So whether it's writing a book, a product, a service, what I'm here's my advice. Write the advert first because then you'll be giving to the world or creating something for the world that the world wants rather than writing a book or creating a product or a service that you want and then trying to sell it. That's fantastic. Yeah, and that works, like you said, with a business plan. I have a lot of folks, I want to pursue my passion. I want to start a business. And they want to build a website. I'm like, well, what problem are you solving that exists out there? And then who owns that problem? And you did a better job of honing it in. What's the advertisement for this? That's exactly the that's the, exactly the guiding principle for business, for sales executives, for leaders, everything. And that's the way to get through change. If you're introducing change, it's an upgrade. That's the advertisement. Love it. For sure. So the 11 steps of success as a book, I've not written it yet because I've not written the advertisement for it yet. <laughs> because I've not asked people yet if they want it. Right. I've, I've, not, I've not got that far yet. Maybe people do want it, and then I'll question them. Well, why would you do it? And then I'll listen to the words they say and understand the benefits that they want, and then create the advertisement from that. That's awesome. And then the the, the book will match the advertisement, and then that's how you get a best selling book. You have the formula. I'm going to follow your track. <laughs> there you go. Great, Jeff. I'm going to um, put your information in our podcast description. If folks wanted to get any of your books or or reach out to you, is there a website or a LinkedIn profile or anything that you could point them towards? Sure. Well, my website is jeff-smith.com, and it's Jeff with a J, J-double-F, jeff-smith.com. You can find the books on there. Uh, You can probably find a a LinkedIn link on there, but my LinkedIn uh, link is jeff-smith-kpi. 
so you'll find me there. But if you put the KPI guy, you'll find me in lots of different places. Yeah. You can find the books there. If you just want to have a chat for um, about an idea you have, I'll very happily have a chat with you and the facilities there on my website too. So you can come and have a chat with me on Zoom, Teams or whatever if you're struggling with something. And I do that for free. It's just, um, but don't expect a couple of hours, right? (laughs) (laughs) To clear the clutter out of the way, to give you some guidance and direction. I tell you what, you have left us wanting more, which is phenomenal. You're a fantastic guest. I think you have so much value and wealth of information. Uh, I know our listeners are going to benefit from this. I would welcome you back several times to to spread some some wisdom. Great. Patrick, I'm I feel truly blessed. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. However. I have a request first. Sure. I'm about to become a podcast host myself. Okay. And would love to have you as a guest on my show. Uh, Will you agree to do that? I would agree. I would be honored. Anytime, anytime you need me, I would love to. We're going to make that happen because I have some stunning questions for you. <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot. I'm just going to read yeah, you. I'm just going to read the answers from your books. I'm going to get your books and read all your answers back to you. <laughs> Jeff, thanks again. You're a delight, and I, I, I can't wait to have you back, and I look forward to being on your podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Patrick, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You too. So that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Every person, every business needs some help. Take the first step in your own world. Go to the show description Use the link to my calendar and set up your own one-on-one time with me or go to pksolutionsgroup.com for all your bonus resources. We all have choices and I'm here waiting when you finally choose a different way, a better way. Until then, let me leave you with some wisdom from one of my favorite musical groups, Rascal Flats. Simply put, my wish for you is is that your life becomes all that you want it to be.